A reading from Genesis, beginning with the 18th chapter and the first verse. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds, of milk, curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door, the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning at the 35th verse. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, 
Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Our passage this morning from Matthew's gospel opens with a description of how Jesus had been going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom. And while doing so, he healed the diseases and afflictions of everyone he encountered. And then in verse 36, Matthew describes why it describes Jesus' heart toward these people, saying that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw how all of them were in such desperate need of his kingdom, which leads him to invite his disciples into this burden with him. As he says to them, The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Then as our passage moves into chapter 10, Jesus sends the 12 disciples out and he gives them the the capacity to do essentially the things he's been doing, right? To free people from noticeable bondage to evil, to heal every disease and affliction, even to raise the dead. Well, as we've said with the miracles that Jesus himself did, while these works certainly would have an immediate life-changing impact on the, the lives of those that the disciples ministered to, as we've said many times of Jesus' ministry, such miracles 
while again benefiting the individuals who are on the receiving end, more significantly, these miracles were signs of the spiritual realities of God's kingdom. As I mentioned two weeks ago, when Jesus healed the deaf and the blind, for example, these were signs of his desire to heal the spiritual deafness and blindness of all people who will put their trust in him. And now at the beginning of Matthew 10, Jesus provides a first glimpse of how he plans to commission and use his followers to bring about these realities, particularly these spiritual realities that these signs represent after his earthly mission is over. And this is something we've been talking about a fair bit this spring. In fact, just last Sunday, our gospel passage was Jesus' great commission to all of us, reprinted in your bulletin today. And twice in the last month, we touched on Jesus' fascinating promise from John 14, also reprinted in your bulletin, where he said, quote, Whoever believes in me will, do, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. I know when we talked about that, I explained how the greatness of believers' works that Jesus is talking about, that'll be greater than his, speaks to the exponential number of lives that God intends to transform through the ministry of his followers who desire to bless others in his name. But I want to explore that promise a bit further this morning. I certainly know that there are so many of you who have this desire, who see the countless people in this world who are attempting to navigate life apart from Christ and who are burdened for particular people who perhaps even know Christ, but for whatever reason have become stuck at some place in their spiritual journey as we're all susceptible to. I know many of us have been given the Lord's compassion for others and are willing for God to use us and are even praying for the laborers of the harvest. And yet at certain times, in certain situations, it can feel so impossible or even hopeless. We find ourselves crying out to the Lord like the prophet, how long, Lord? How long till you will move in the lives of some of these dear ones our hearts are so broken for? Well, this experience or these feelings of hopes unfulfilled are so common among believers that I found myself thinking about it this week. But I found myself thinking about it in light of the Old Testament passage that was also appointed for today from Genesis 18 and 21. This section of Genesis reports, records a remarkable sequence of episodes from the lives of Israel's first couple, Abraham and his wife, Sarah. You may recall that the journey with Abraham begins in Genesis back in chapter 12, which I preached about in early March. Then God chose Abraham, who was named Abram at the time, chose him to leave his country and kin and travel to the region of Palestine or modern day Israel. And even though Abram and Sarah 
had no children, God promised, God made a promise to make Abram into a great nation through whom, quote, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, Abram and Sarah had done what the Lord had asked. They had chosen quite remarkably in faith to follow God to the land he was leading them to, leaving behind so much. And yet after that, after they left, more than 20 years, more than 20 years passed without Sarah conceiving, with her remaining childless. You imagine that. What that must have felt like and frankly, what a crisis of faith that must have been. Well, with faith in God's promise beginning to wane, Sarah would eventually try to take matters into her own hands, as we all are so prone to do when we grow impatient. In this case, in her situation, Sarah took matters into her own hands by having Abraham lie with her maidservant Hagar in Genesis 16 in order to have some child, right? And indeed, this led Hagar to conceive and give birth to Ishmael. But this impatience would not only lead to dysfunction and harm in Abraham and Sarah's life and their lifetime, as Hagar and Ishmael are eventually ill-treated by them and sent away, but it would also prove to be quite consequential in the long run, indeed in world history, as from Ishmael's line, the Islamic faith would eventually emerge. But in our passage that opens today in chapter 18, when Abraham and Sarah are now well into their 90s, the Lord appears to Abraham in the form of three men. And this is thought to be yet another Old Testament allusion to the Trinity. But the couple provides the men with hospitality, as was the customary treatment toward travelers in those days when there weren't, you know, pit stops and gas stations and McDonald's to stop at. In this case, though, they actually provide the men with quite a feast, even for those days. But in verse 9, the Lord says to Abraham, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he replies, Well, she's in the tent. Then the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God reiterates the promise he'd made more than 20 years before, though I'm sure at least he provides a timeline here. Well, we're told that Sarah was listening at the tent door, but that the way of women, of course, at the age of 90 had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughs at herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And I won't exegete that line any further. But Sarah is incredulous at the idea she might still bear a child, right? And understandably so. She clearly feels like God's promise is impossible, that it could not possibly be fulfilled through her. But as our passage moves, moves forward to chapter 21, which I, I should have marked a little more clearly in your bulletin, 
21 verse 1, as it moves forward there, sure enough, we're told that the Lord visits Sarah as he'd said he would. And the Lord did to Sarah as he'd promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time God had spoken of. And verse 3 says, Abraham called the name of his son Isaac, which means he laughs. The Lord gets the last laugh. Well, just as God's promise to Abraham and Sarah seemed impossible, and it really seemed that way from the get-go, by the way, when God first promises that they will have a child when they are 75 years young, But just as God's promise to Abraham and Sarah seemed impossible, the Lord has also given us as believers an impossible task in the great commission to make disciples of all nations. It's an impossible task because not a single one of us can in our power cause anyone to turn to God or to grow in the Lord for that matter. And yet the Lord gave what I think we can really call is a promise of fruit in John 14. That those who believe in him will do the works that he does and more. And he made this possible in two ways that are prefigured in the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. God made it possible for us to participate in the building of his kingdom, to partner with him in that. First, through a miraculous conception This time, not to Sarah, but to a girl named Mary, as God brought Jesus into the world. And then, through a miraculous birth, not of Isaac, but a birth, better yet, a rebirth for any of us who believe, as we ourselves are brought into the kingdom, but are also born again by the Holy Spirit when we put our trust in Jesus. Well, in light of this, we should be confident that God will not allow the deposit of his Holy Spirit within us to go to waste. Rather, his plan is that by his Holy Spirit, he will transform our character and he'll give us the power to love him and others. And that that will witness, that will be a witness to his kingdom and others will come and turn to him. Others will go deeper and grow in him. Notice that unlike the commission Jesus gives to his disciples in our Matthew 10 passage, he commissions them to go do miracles even to the extent of raising the dead. Notice the commission he's given us in Matthew 28 makes no mention of miracles. Not that miracles are impossible or anything like that, but because the miracles were never God's point, not his ultimate goal or aim. Rather, the miracles were a sign of God's ultimate aim which is to share his love with the world and to do that his plan is through us so as we seek to love people continue to love people in God's power individually we should maintain our hope that God will use that to bring the fruit of discipleship into the lives of others and yet Faith also calls us to maintain a vision for fruit bearing 
that stretches far beyond the duration of our earthly lives. Returning to Abraham and Sarah for a moment, You'll note that while they did live to see God begin fulfilling his promise to them to be a blessing to the nations, right, with the birth of Isaac, even though God began to fulfill that promise in ways that they saw in their lifetime, that was only a sliver of the fulfillment God intended to bring through Abraham and that he would eventually bring about, right? In fact, when the book of Hebrews speaks of Abraham, and I should have included this passage in your bulletin, but it says in, in chapter 13 of Hebrews that with the birth of Isaac, Abraham and Sarah, or excuse me, God had proven himself faithful to Abraham and Sarah with the birth of Isaac. And yet the book of Hebrews says, on the other hand, they died not having received the fullness of what had been promised. For they, but it explains that they looked forward to the city whose designer and builder is God and greeted that promise, that ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to them. It says, greeted that, greeted that promise from afar in faith. We know that God's promise to Abraham was not meant to be fulfilled in one generation but that the much greater portion of that promise will be fulfilled in the generations to come, right? First in Christ and now through us and through his church. And so I think the circumstance is similar for us because though God may work through us to contribute to the making of disciples through individual relationships, and I would go so far as to say that if we remain in Christ and are willing to follow his lead, I think I can say with great confidence that we will see him do that through our lives, right? That we'll get to see some of the fruit of the impact that his spirit can make through us. However, the much greater portion of God's fulfillment of Jesus' promise to do even greater works through us than the works he did on earth, the greater portion of that will be fulfilled not in any of our individual lives, but over generations through his church. And so our greatest contribution as individuals, our greatest contribution to God's kingdom is not even in the individual interactions we have as valuable as those are, but in the overall participation in the building up of Christ's church the eternal city God has designed and is building over generations and generations to bring the nations in as the book of Revelation described. And so like Abraham, faith challenges us to see that inheritance and greet it from afar. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.